Hello and welcome to this edition of Wineskins, a program that features reflections on the lives of the saints and sacred scriptures, along with information on topics and issues from a Catholic perspective. I'm Father Jim Corda. Wineskins is brought to you by the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts, a division of the Society of St. Paul. On our show today, I will talk about the Vatican II document on vocations. We will also look at the life of St. Josephine Bakita, as well as reflections on the readings for this fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time. That and more coming up on Wineskins. In our Bishop's Corner, we welcome Sister Joyce Candidi. Joining me for Wineskins is Sister Joyce Candidi, who is the Director of the Office of Religious for the Diocese of Youngstown. Welcome back to Wineskins. Thank you, Father. It's a pleasure to be here. You know, Sister, today we celebrate World Day for Consecrated Life. We celebrate that around this time of the year, once a year. Why is it important for us as the Church to lift up consecrated life? I think the first well, I, don't want to, I don't want to say the first, but I know this This actually became established as a feast in 1997 by Pope St. John Paul II, and it was primarily initiated in order to call the Universal Church to say thank you to religious for the great contributions that religious life has in the past and continues to offer the church even today. And it's a beautiful, it's not only to say thank you, but it's also to pray for religious. Now let's talk about that word religious and consecrated. Is there a difference there? Yes, that's a very good question. Oftentimes when we hear the word consecrated life, we tend to, as I just did, to speak primarily about religious life. And that's the greatest numbers of consecrated persons are religious. And a religious person is one who belongs to a, a canonically established religious order and takes the vows of poverty, chastity, and obedience. But in the church, there are also many other branches of consecrated life. We have people that belong to societies of apostolic life. They oftentimes, priests will gather, such as the Maronol priests or the priestly fraternity of St. Peter. They have their own vow of celibacy, if you will, but they don't take other vows, but they have a common purpose, always with the intention of doing something special to serve the church. And then we have also secular institutes, and they often are lay persons who actually do take promises or vows to God, and they also take on maybe a spirituality of, let's say, the Franciscans or the Dominicans. And they, too, just the opposite. They live in the world. They don't live in community, but they make special promises to God, again, though, with the intention of more deeply living the Christian faith. You know, oftentimes when we think of religious, we only think of religious women, but there's also religious men. So there's priests, brothers, and sisters. Absolutely. Uh, Why is it important for us to remember that larger group of religious? Yes, again, you know, it's true. We often think of just the sisters, but it's important because each one of us complement each other. And of course, mm-hmm. the men and women complement each other. And I think the, uh, I think even in our own diocese, we have, you know, the Society of St. Paul made up of religious priests and brothers. And the brothers in a very, are very similar to religious sisters in the sense that they take the vows, they live religious life, but they are not priests, but they do a great service in the church. And the example of the Society of St. Paul, they're committed to media, to getting to getting that word of God out. And the brothers are doing a lot of that technical work in the media, areas of media, et cetera. 
Let's talk about the word charism, because we know that religious communities all have a charism. What does that mean, a charism? The word charism means a gift, a special gift given to that particular community. Generally, obviously, the founder or foundress Mm -hmm. receives that gift from the Holy Spirit, and it's a gift that addresses, that helps the members to address a particular need in the church. And that gift, in a sense, identifies that religious order. They are known. It's almost another word we can think of as, as a talent, a mm. special talent, that all the members that automatically, they actually receive that talent, if you will, or that gift once they are become members of that institute. And it's something special that they do so well in order to, again, serve the church. When we talk about a world day for consecrated life, why is it important for us to celebrate this globally and to lift that up? We are a universal church. We're one family. And and that there's something very powerful about the fact that all over the world, people are called together to, to celebrate as the universal church. It's just a wonderfully comforting thought, if you will, that the church together is thinking today in a very special way, thanking God and praying for religious. What would you like to tell the folks very briefly that are with us about consecrated life and what they can do to help those in consecrated life? Consecrated life is essential to the life of the church. It's not the only vocation that's essential. The primary vocations are all essential, priesthood, consecrated life, and marriage in the committed single life, all essential. But what is especially essential with consecrated life is that, if you notice, it's uh, celebrated on Candlemas Day, on the Feast of the Presentation, and we bless candles. Candles are a symbol of the light of the world. Religious are that light to the world to remind the entire church to kind of point that way, to light that way to where we're going, and that is to live eternally with God. So we already begin to live that life in a very special way, and yet not completely, and it points the way that all of us are going to be called to that marriage of the Lamb in eternity. Sister Joyce Canditti, Director of the Office of Religious for the Diocese of Youngstown, thank you so much for highlighting and lifting up this World Day for Consecrated Life here locally in the Diocese of Youngstown and also around the world. So thank you for your presence and for your ministry. Thank you, Father. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. The Church celebrates the Feast of St. Josephine Bikita on Wednesday. To tell us more is Marianne Yeager, She is from St. Christine Church in Youngstown. Mother Josephine Bakita was born in Sudan in 1869 and died in Italy in 1947. Divine Providence, which cares for the flowers of the field and the birds of the air, guided her as a Sudanese slave through innumerable and unspeakable sufferings to human freedom and to the freedom of faith and finally to the consecration of her whole life to God for the coming of his kingdom. Bakita was not the name she received from her parents at birth. The fright and the terrible experiences she went through made her forget the name she was given by her parents. Bakita, which means fortunate, was the name given her by her kidnappers. Sold and resold in the markets of Egypt, she experienced all the humiliations and sufferings of slavery, both physical and moral. As she grew older, she experienced long, painful years of sickness, 
Mother Bikita continued to witness to faith, goodness, and Christian hope. To those who visited her and asked how she was, she would respond with a smile, as the Master desires. During her agony, she relived the terrible days of her slavery, and more than once, she begged the nurse who assisted her, please loosen the chains, they are too heavy. It was Mary Most Holy who freed her from all pain. Her last words were, Our Lady, Our Lady. And her final smile testified to her encounter with the Mother of the Lord. Mother Bikita breathed her last on February 8, 1947, at the convent in Italy, surrounded by her religious sisters. A crowd quickly gathered at the convent to have a last look at their mother Moreta, as she was known, and to ask for her protection from heaven. The fame of her sanctity continues to spread to all the continents, and many are those who receive graces through her intercession. The cause for her beatification began 12 years after her death, and on December 1st, 1978, the church proclaimed her blessed. She was canonized in St. Peter's Square on October 1st, 2000, by Pope St. John Paul II. The first reading of her Mass emphasizes the spousal relationship of the person consecrated by vows to the Lord. It is a relationship based on mutual love, respect, and fidelity. In the prayer over the gifts, we admire the wonder of God's love in the life of Josephine and her witness to Christ. The second reading also emphasizes the spousal relationship in terms of a lifelong commitment, but insists as well on the dedication of the Virgin to the work of the Lord in imitation of Him. The opening prayer speaks of learning from the Virgin's faithfulness and love. The Gospel passage speaks of the free will choice of the Virgin who chooses the better part by remaining single. Vigilance is like being espoused to the Lord. The prayer after communion asks that the Eucharist renew our courage and strength. It reads, Lord God, may the Eucharist renew our courage and strength. May we remain close to you, like St. Josephine, by accepting in our lives a share in the sufferings of Jesus Christ, who lives and reigns with you forever and ever. For Wineskins, I'm Marianne Yeager. Welcome to our segment called Year of Faith, celebrating the 16 documents of the Second Vatican Council. I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. And the document we're going to discuss today is the Decree on Priestly Training. This decree is so important because more than ever, the education and preparation of priests has to be top-notch. There can't be any shortcuts in the training of a priest. And the training takes place on three levels. Of course, the spiritual. Then there's the emotional. The person has to be a very stable person. And finally, there's the intellectual because the priest will be 
dealing largely with highly educated people and has to make sense of the faith to these people. That wasn't always the case, though, was it, Father Jeff? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to think years ago, in many aspects, the priest was the educated one in the community. But, you know, that's obviously changed because people are educated as well. What makes this priestly training, like, really important for the life of the individual themselves? Well, every individual eventually will say, What's life all about? What's my life all about? And when a priest encounters such an individual, he just can't give them a phrase, a memorized statement. He has to show the person why a belief in God is reasonable, why a belief in Christ is essential, and why life in the church is joyous. And that takes quite a bit of intellectual as well as spiritual preparation to pull that off. I know in, in my own priestly training in the seminary, there were many things that we learned, whether it was through scripture or theology or morals or w whatever it was. But then there were many things that we were never taught, mm -hmm. that we learn by experience or we learn by trial and error. Mm -hmm. How important is that whole process for the life of the priest? Well, today, the seminarians are exposed more and more to the actual life in parishes. They're sent to live in parishes, to learn from an experienced pastor, hands-on ways to help people as they stand in the crisis moments of their lives and to guide the people as a whole towards a greater understanding of the faith. And so we need that experiential as well as theoretical knowledge to really form priests who are going to be effective in building up the church and spreading the kingdom of God. It, why is it so important for uh, the priest to have um, what I would consider a well-rounded approach to uh, knowledge and, and studies? Not that we know everything or will ever know everything, but to have a good and proper and healthy sense of many things that impact us in our world. Well, we need the capacity to have small talk on a wide variety of issues. Some priests may not be interested in sports at all, but it's important to glance at the sporting pages so you can see how the local professional teams or college teams are doing. And so when you talk on that level with a typical blue-collar parishioner, you'll connect. It's also important to have some understanding of politics and the arts so that when someone asks a question about what's going on in the world, you could at least give the impression that you're informed on the major issues because they'll impact on whether there is a good economy, a bad economy, whether the parishioners will have work or be unemployed. And to have some knowledge of what's going on in a whole variety of areas is critically important for any priest who wants to care for souls and care for his people. And I know that nowadays training in seminaries has really changed over the years. In your experience, how has it changed since this document has come out 50 years ago as to what's going on nowadays in our seminary? 
Well, I was trained in the pre-Vatican II seminary, and it changed my training right in the middle of it. So I went to what they call a minor seminary, four years of a high school seminary, two years of college in the minor seminary. It was a marvelous place, highly intellectual, very structured, very disciplined. And then after my novitiate, my congregation, impacted by this document, sent me to all places of a state university for my philosophy. That was a radical change, but it really formed me to fit into a world that was beyond the ecclesiastical. And then they sent me to a diocesan seminary up in Michigan, which prepared me to work more effectively with parish priests and diocesan priests. So right in the middle of my priestly training, I had this great transformation and this great opportunity to be better prepared for what was to come over the next 40 years of my life. Let's talk a little bit more about that whole sense of, of pastoral training. Mm. You, you know, in the seminaries, we don't always learn everything about pastoral life because that's really an experiential thing. But, but how important is it for our future priests to know the pastoral life of the church? Well, good administration is good ministry. They're both from the same root. So a priest should not try to do everything, but to delegate to his pastoral council, to his various members in the church, a great deal of responsibility so that he could be free to study the Word of God, to get closer to Christ, to lead very effective liturgies, but also to be there at moments of crisis when a person dies with an understanding heart and some basic skills with what to do and not do in those situations, to help people when they're making decisions about marriage, to guide them and to say, are you sure of what you want? Do you know what marriage is demanding? And this is from not only the teachings of the church, but my personal experience that I've seen this go wrong or that go right. So it's very important for an effective priest to be well-formed and well-informed. And I think to carry that a step further, we've talked about this before about education, that the priests themselves need to be educated in an ongoing basis. Our training doesn't end in the seminary. Our training continues through opportunities, education, uh, retreat, sabbatical, for example, opportunities. How important is it for the life of a priest to continue that process? Well, it's critically important. And one day, many years ago, I heard Monsignor remarked to another priest something that got my attention in a sad way. He said, well, if I had the choice between reading a book on theology or visiting someone in the hospital, I'd visit the person in the hospital. That's fine and good, but you want to learn how to make that visit more effective through your reading, through your study. And if you come to a point in your life as a priest where you say, I know it all, there's nothing more I could learn, that's at the very point your effectivity has greatly diminished. Let's close this segment, Father Jeff, with a brief reflection. Pray that we have priests that are holy, well-balanced. Pray that our seminaries are filled with people filled with the love of Christ. And pray that all of us may benefit from this for decades and decades to come. For Wineskins, I'm Father Jim Corda. And I'm Father Jeffrey Mickler of the Society of St. Paul. For more information and to listen to Wineskins, 
visit the website of the Catholic Diocese of Youngstown at www.doy.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a moment. Please join Catholic Charities by helping to support the Warm Hearts for Warm Homes campaign, formerly known as Keep the Kids Warm. The Warm Heart for Warm Homes campaign helps to provide direct utility assistance to families with children, working poor adults, and older adults on fixed incomes. Last year, Catholic Charities agencies impacted thousands of people through utility assistant efforts. Unfortunately, this year the need for heat and utility assistance continues to rise. Catholic Charities is asking for your help to make Warm Hearts for Warm Homes a success by giving to your local parish online at www.ccdoy.org or by calling Catholic Charities at 330-744-8451. The song we have for you today is from the CD called Fill the Heavens. It is by the Daughters of St. Paul.
To tell us about the scriptures for this fifth Sunday in Ordinary Time is Father Ryan Furlong. He is pastor of St. Thomas the Apostle Church in Vienna. Jesus used the image of salt to describe the transforming effects of God's work in our lives and how the Holy Spirit wants to work through us to bring the power and blessing of God's kingdom to others. Salt purifies, it preserves, it also produces a rich flavor from our daily food. As disciples of Christ, we are the salt of the earth. The Lord wants to work through us to purify, preserve, and to spread the flavor of God's kingdom everywhere. He wants to use us to bring his good news to all peoples. If salt loses its taste, it is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trodden underfoot. In the ancient world, salt was often put into ovens to intensify the heat. When the salt was burned off and no longer useful, it was thrown out on the ground, where it would easily get stepped on and swept away. We ourselves could lose our saltiness by sin, by temptation, and by giving in to the world. However, through prayer, through perseverance, and to trying to live virtuously, by following Christ and His Church, the rejection of sin, we can move forward and live lives as Christ wanted us to live, to provide the good news for all people. For Wineskins, I'm Father Ryan Furlong. If we are true to the principles of our Lord, there will be times that the world will hate us, but it can never ignore us. And there will be those who are drawn to us. As Jesus said, your light must shine so that others see your good works. Wineskins is made possible through the annual Diocesan Appeal, the Catholic Communication Campaign, and St. Paul's Catholic Books and Gifts. The program is produced by the Roman Catholic Diocese of Youngstown. I'm Father Jim Corda saying thank you for being with us. And remember to pray for all women and men religious today. have you done for your marriage today? I gave my wife a hug this morning. I thought uh, I love her. I uh, did her hair this morning. I think it looks pretty good. I cooked my husband's uh, favorite breakfast. I bought her an orchid. What have I done for my marriage today? I sent my husband a love email. I read the newspaper to my wife and it cracked her up. She's, but she's still laughing. <laughs> what have you done for your marriage today? Make a change for the better. Need help? Go to foryourmarriage.org. A message from the Catholic Church. They say America is the land of opportunity, but for some, life isn't so easy. Right now in America, one in six children lives below the poverty line. That's nearly 13 million children of all races all across our country. Where do you draw the line and get involved? You can make a difference in more ways than you think. Go to povertyusa.org today, because one in six children in poverty is one too many. A message from the Catholic Campaign for Human Development.